0: Welcome to Activate, a podcast for mobile marketers brought to you by Remerge. Take a short break from your screen and listen to what's working in mobile marketing and what's not, straight from the people who are doing it now. Are you ready?
1: Let's get started.
0: All right. Welcome back, everyone, for another iteration of the Remerge Aptivate podcast. Today we have a great guest, very experienced in this mobile space. David Jumper, calling in from Hyper Digital Partners, like Hyper DP. What do you prefer? Either or. Okay, so calling in from Hyper Digital Partners, which is a growth agency based out of Miami, correct?
1: Yep. My, yeah, we have offices in Miami, Los Angeles, and actually we're opening one up in Lagos, Nigeria, two weeks.
0: All right. So let's get into it. So David, we usually love to start these podcasts with a little bit of intro about how you got to be where you are. Obviously, you have a lot of experience promoting and working growth marketing for a number of mobile applications, agencies. So it'd be great to hear how you got to be where you are, maybe take us a little bit through your career progression, and then definitely want to talk a little bit about, more about your current role.
1: I have to do that. So I, mean, I started in mobile 2010, working for a mobile payments app fairly early on. But we weren't really doing mobile growth in the context that we think about it now. It was a lot of brand activations. We call it like boots on ground marketing, trying to pass out flyers to get downloads, stuff that's arguably not really scalable. And evolving from there, taking a look around and seeing where everything was going. I ultimately, transitioned into gaming, where I started at Scientific Games, leading the marketing team for social casino products, notably Jackpot Party. And then once it left there, went and pinged over to touch modern e-commerce application, harnessing out the skills going from gaming, where into com and then went back to gaming. Where I worked for Disruptor Beam, leading the growth performance marketing there for titles like Star Trek, Game of Thrones, Walking Dead, and from there ended up going back to casino, but on the real money side of things with the Super Draft team. While simultaneously working to launch what is now Africa's largest mobile publisher, Carryfirst. First. So at that point, we were double dipping, working, and got fortunate enough that SuperDraft was acquired fairly quickly by Caesars. And then Carry First is a market leader today, but it was not when we started. So I was fortunate enough to work with the founders there, Cordell, Lucy, Tino. Shout out.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, we interviewed Cordell a few podcasts ago. He's definitely a super insightful... Guy knows a ton about the African market. So, definitely want to hear a little bit more about Hyper Digital Partners because it sounds like that's an agency that you started up from the ground up. So, let us know a little bit about that and what you're doing over there.
1: So, Hyper Digital Partners, we're trying to find like a middle ground between like a venture firm and an agency. When we look at who we're modeling at least our services after or who we want to be in, it's a more integrated approach than the typical agency, which is, hey, we can do these one or two or three things for you we're more holistic and we're more ingrained hyper at its core like our focus is growth and digital transformation for startups scale-ups late-stage ventures i primarily lead our startup side of the business which is focused directly in, in growth so it's performance marketing product marketing growth operations and then data analytics where we're coming into play and i think what our focus is and this is what we did with kerry first as well is going to startups and say let's help you accelerate your path of growth, reduce your fail rate. Like We are coming on as actually the internal team, which is a key difference between us and some of the agencies out there in that it's not just, hey, we're going to run ads. It's connecting pieces like the operations. How are you doing forecasting, speaking with investors, helping through fundraising, setting appropriate OKRs. So almost taking on a leadership capacity in and of itself with the end goal of building this core infrastructure for startups that eventually transitions into them having an internal team. Because what we've seen with a lot of startups is, hey, listen, they'll go an agency route. Then they hit a certain point of scale, typically around a series A where, all right, now the objectives you got to hit at two, three X, what you're currently were, and you've got to wrap scale up and really requires you having an internal team in place. And If you are agency dependent, now you find yourself like, okay, how do we build a team in? How do we find ourselves dependent? How do we wean ourselves off of this? And a lot of times they find themselves having to, okay, we have to rebuild ad accounts because everything was ran in the agency's ad accounts. We're running through their MMP or they harvested all the learnings. And so we were looking around to try to solve these problems to help these startups simultaneously build this infrastructure and then scale it and then hand it off. I mean, simply put, we like to think of ourselves like we're the pilots that get the plane in the air around the storms to cruising altitude, and then we switch out with the relief pilots and parachutes set to safety. That's exactly what we're working with startups, and that's the primary focus that we do with that. We've been fortunate to work with some pretty significant ones, and we have a focus in emerging markets. So a decent amount of our business and focus is around Africa. We're not exclusively Pan-African, but we're finding a lot of exciting opportunities, and quite frankly, just really enjoy working with founders on the continent as well around EMEA, Middle East as well.
0: That's great. And so apologies on using the term agency. I think it sounds like to me, it's more of almost a consultancy. You work with these brands to try and get our brands or apps try and get their product off the ground and almost allow them to be almost self-sustainable moving forward. And then you parachute off the airplane.
1: That's the goal. I mean, we definitely, if we think about who we want to, when we grow up as it were, it is more of like a venture firm, Boston Consulting, Digital Ventures, are, are on the side of McKinsey, in which those firms are typically out of obviously out of reach, or quite frankly, may not have the applied skill sets to actually be meaningful. So we're trying to find that middle ground. Look, it's we're talking about marketing here. If you're thinking about marketing and you're thinking about like your services, well, how are you positioning yourself? Where are you finding asymmetries and voids in the market? And, and that's what we did. There's a lot of great agencies out there, led by a lot of people that we respect, and they do good work. And we don't look at ourselves as inherently competing with them. As a matter of fact, in some cases, we'll roll partner agencies in to work with us on subsets of projects. We're just trying to solve a different problem.
0: Exactly. Are you guys vertical agnostic? Do you prefer to work with any different verticals or do you kind of all see it as the same growth marketing as like a blanket statement and you can work across any vertical?
1: Growth marketing to an extent, I think is agnostic, B2B, B2C, When we think about it, I mean, we definitely have an organic bias to B2C between the backgrounds of the partners with us. There's some B2B cases, but primarily it's been B2C ranging from with Tiago, our partner, Omaze and Scopely, some other big names, Resort Pass, another one. We've been there. But as we're thinking about startups in the context of who we want to work with, we're really thinking more about what the product is, what they're trying to solve. And really, I think more importantly... Will we create an impact that actually helps these companies to achieve their goals? Because for us, there's a big difference between the agency and the consultancy side. There is, if I have to qualify myself by explaining who our clients are, well, then I didn't do a good job. The point being, for us, we're a little bit more intimate with who we choose to work with on the startup side. We're also, we bill a little bit differently. We're not really interested in taking percentages of media fees and some of the traditional models. And quite frankly, it doesn't really work without some economies of scale but we're definitely in a ground where we're taking equity stakes in every company that we work with so we really are trying to align interests and if we're doing that it does matter who we select and who we do work with
0: that's great so this podcast a lot of our listeners are just getting into the space they might be trying to start up their own apps themselves just trying to figure out what do i do when it comes to mobile marketing trying to figure out how to grow their app audience so i think good natural transition here's like what advice can you offer? And I know one of the things we chatted about before is like some of the mistakes that potential people or founders make when trying to market their apps. And so I'm curious, what are some of these mistakes that you've seen? Because you obviously have worked in emerging markets, have probably pushed out a number of mobile applications and started their marketing programs for them. What are some of these key mistakes that marketers make when they're first launching their apps.
1: We put together a list of about five of the most common mistakes that we see. And these are typically, for context, the common denominator here is founder-led teams that are just trying to get some initial traction, either for investors or to validate MVPs or just to qualify the market. So this is not an indictment of the efficacy of the work if any of our current or previous clients are listening, but more so meant, I think our thought of is that we can figure this out later, but in fact, the five of these things we think are, we qualify as prerequisites and quite frankly, topics that we don't really hear a lot in the general discourse, but yeah, I mean, we can jump in. And I think the first one we like to touch on here is really attribution and launching without an an attribution provider. And so there's a couple of things here. Typically, the use case or the reason that this is done is either through just a lack of strategic foresight for the need of this, because you're not necessarily understanding as you scale or as you start spinning up, you're going to start having to piece together things that have interdependencies, specifically like how you're going to allocate media budget. So what we see more often than not is that the measurement stack will be an agglomeration of SDKs from various ad networks, somehow tied together through GA or Firebase. And typically, what that looks like is, hey, we ran some ads on Facebook, we threw in their SDK, we're spending $100 a day, and now we got some cash in, we want to 10x installs, let's go, let's add some channels in there. And that's where things start to get complicated, because you're relying on signals that all themselves holistically are taking credit. And typically, in the instance where it's not kind of a lack of understanding that this is needed the thought that we see from founders is okay, this is a nice to have investment and not a real prerequisite. And I think what we see more often than not is that the reality is is if you're thinking about it as a luxury rather than the prerequisite, well, it's hard to really justify making that investment. And it's true, M and Ps can be expensive and especially for companies that are trying very cognizant of burn. It's also true that if you actually attempt to have dialogue with any of the major m out there, and we won't name names. I mean, we have a preference, but we're agnostic. They will work to scale with you because the reality is, is they also understand that you're eventually going to succeed and you're going to be a valuable client. And quite frankly, if that M&P or any partner that you're talking to at that stage doesn't try to meet you in the middle there, probably not worth working with anyways.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And in terms of the actual integration within an MMP, you can reach a very high level where you're just tracking a few events and that's it. Or you can get as detailed as like sending event metadata and building out the whole thing. Do you find there's like a middle ground when like promoting or when trying to push MMP integrations? Do you recommend that they do certain things within the MMP integration itself to ensure reliable tracking?
1: At core... A lot of the standard events that AppsFlyer, Adjust, Singular, Branch have will cover the basis because they have built this to be optimized for users that may not have it. And I think that if that's a starting point, that's a good place to make sure that you're passing those events back. Depending on the type of business you are, maybe you want to add one or two more bespoke events that may be indicators of, say, what you theorize you're going to need to factor your LTD model down the road or another arbiter therein. An example might be, all right, well, I want to see my second purchase if I'm an e-commerce app, or I'm a gaming app, I want to see, hey, reach level X. And any business is going to have some bespoke events. Founders out there, like you probably have these signals built into your operating and financial models already. So you can translate that back, It really translates back to like, you're showing the stickiness of users. And so firing events that are somehow retention based or something like that does help. I would caution against trying to over-engineer it because we've also seen that where here's 75 events in the schema and we're like, okay, like we're doing the hundred installs a week right now. It's great, but now you're just loading yourself with analysis paralysis and potentially technical debt as well. I can tell you that most UA managers, even at significant scale, don't need to go that level of granular with hundreds of fragmented events, mostly because you have to think about what is the applied use. And that's where I think nice to have comes into play. So I would say you're doing this to the use case of, listen, I want to be able to understand where I should spend my money. And I also want to be able to make sure that the ad networks that I'm spending on have accurate postbacks so that they can better optimize the campaign. So there's two sides to the coin.
0: Of course, it sounds like, yeah, there's obviously a middle ground, but you have to be very goal-oriented when you're thinking about how you build out the infrastructure within your MMP and focus on
1: what really
0: matters when it comes to monetization and retention. And just don't overdo it because that'll cause problems down the road.
1: Yeah, kiss roll. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah,
0: exactly, exactly. So I do want to switch gears because I know we talked a little bit about creative. And I think you probably have different viewpoints as it relates to creative. You might have people that come in and they want to build out a ton or people that aren't really focused on it in a way that they should be. I want to get your thoughts on what is your experience working with some of these startups and creatives and like what's your POV on how a new startup should be or shouldn't be thinking about creative when it comes to growth marketing?
1: Yeah, I think we can kick it off with saying what I would consider the obvious to be for any anybody that's ever ran performance marketing at any level of scale is that the singular most important lever to find efficiency in your unit economics, which leads in because some of the surprises that there's typically two scenarios. Either there's a team that has a stockpile of creatives. These might have been made for their investor deck or for like their initial social media presence, but what they were not designed for is an applied use for performance marketing. Maybe their videos are two and a half minutes long with a 25 second introduction before there's like a single thing. They're not cut appropriately. That's a problem because you see like average view time might be three seconds. And so you've got 22 seconds of fluff before you even get to your core point. But besides that point, the way we think about it is we'll see the opposite, which is the founders say like, look, here's what we have. We can figure this out later, but we need to get some results now. We can't really afford to make this investment right now. And our retort is always, you can't not afford to do this. Now, this doesn't mean going to a premium creative agency, dropping $30,000, $40,000, getting into a long-term contract. There's a reason for that, but it's not at this point of scale. I would say, like, look, try to find five, six unique concepts. Definitely use video. If you have to make the Sophie's choice between static or video, Go video, 15 30-second creatives, and create a mix that resonates to the pain points that your product is solving. Try to find a balance between humor and informative. If you want to use, find an influencer or two, not to promote your product, but to actually license their likeness in the content, like first-person videos, but carve out a budget to make these and set yourself up to make iterations of these in the future, because If you don't make this investment on the front end, you're just going to find maybe you get lucky. But more often than not, you won't. It should be there from the start. Especially like startups, you just raise cash. You're fresh into your go-to-market. All the eyes from the investors and the board are on you. You really want to shit the bed over a menial investment. You don't have a problem hiring the best talent or product development or cold brew, whatever it is. But like the one thing that is going to help you succeed and what could literally make or break your business, you treat as an afterthought. It just doesn't really so well. And, I, and like I said, I think this is probably not that unique of an idea, but it's one of the first things that when we're starting with a client that we onboard with is, is we say, before we even touch an ad, okay, it's great that you have some assets, but let's actually dissect them. Let's see, maybe we can use some things as a base asset, but we should commission something. At the forefront. Otherwise, you're basically just donating money to the ad network.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it sounds like the messaging within the creative as well is just super important value based creative. Another one of the points that you had brought up is around optimization and focusing on driving users down the funnel, getting them to complete that purchase and focusing more on those like down funnel metrics, ROAS and whatnot. What are your thoughts around that? I think that's something that I feel like working at Remerge that when I talk to companies, a lot of them have trouble figuring out what we should be optimizing towards, especially when it comes to re-engagement. And so I can only imagine that is probably something that is extremely important, but it's also extremely difficult to figure that out for especially a new app where you don't even necessarily know how users are going to be interacting with it and what their activity is going to look like. So what do you have to say about optimization and when it comes to the funnel itself?
1: okay, let's put it in this context, like your startup, you maybe have never even fired an actual impression before, or you're at under like 20 million impressions. I mean, some level of this is brand new. And maybe you're even brand new to going into the interface of let's pick on meta for a second. You go into meta and it's like, hey, what is your objective? Well, of course your objective is to get purchases. But inherently, problem with that is, is that you really haven't accrued any learnings. And so you see a lot of campaigns, and we've seen that we've done audits of existing agencies or some initial tests that were ran that are all queued to just go straight to purchase optimization or ROAS, because it makes sense. That is your actual objective, but your applied path to get there isn't the same. And what I mean by that is there are conversion thresholds that have to be hit in order for these things to find any efficiency The publicly... Available number that I've seen over the years and going back to 2016, when they released AEO was like 50 conversions a week. Okay. 50 conversions a week. Well, if your conversion rate is, let's be generous and say 10%, all right, then you need to be doing 500 installs plus a week. Well, that's not going to probably be your conversion rate. And so I guess what we're saying is the way we like to think about it, let's use an example. Let's say you're a fashion app or this could apply to gaming as well, but start at the top of the funnel, let's say install. Run and then phase it out progressively. Get a volume of users in first. Optimize your CPI. Know what creatives are working. Stabilize some performance, and then go down one, maybe two steps in the funnel. Continue with fashion app. Let's say that your funnel goes registration, and then you're looking at view content, add to cart, initiate checkout, checkout complete, purchase, or enter credit card. Yeah, there's some steps in between there. So going back to the MNP, those are the core events that you'd want to have mapped from your MNP to the network, but Resist that temptation to go all the way down because realistically, yes, you'll see better conversion rates at scale when you're for a purchase campaign or then, say, an install campaign. But proportionally, what you may find is that certainly the CPIs on these purchase campaigns are going to be much higher because the CPMs that are billed for these are much higher. And there's a lot of unknowns because you presumably aren't using lookalike or custom audiences at this point. So you're using say saved audiences, which you're just, hey, let me find people that like this fashion brand. Let me find people that have this interest, people with these behaviors. You haven't really honed that in yet. And you don't really have enough first party data to train it. So what happens is by going straight down the funnel, all you do is you just massively inflate your costs in the beginning. And ironically enough, slow down your growth. And the other piece to this too is as you start to scale, you start mixing segmentation, with how you're optimizing and you can find some unique patterns. So it's not to say that you can only do one thing at a given time, but it's, you need a starting place and then you layer on things and you're likely to discover some interesting patterns along the way. We've seen where, hey, the campaign that's optimizing for event X has a much higher CPI, but has a much better payback, or this campaign has a much lower CPI, but the retention is really good. And this is where it's thinking like 4X games, for example. We were working with KickSci and and what we did there is we had campaigns that were running solely to basically acquire and retain users. And then in country type tier two, tier three countries that we had set up some segmentation for, then layering in a different layer of segmentation to acquire payers. Because look, you understand that optimizing for CCU or concurrent usage
0: it's important, yeah, this balance of making sure you have enough volume coming into the app, you're able to learn from that. I guess our good national transition here would be budgeting. You figured out what kind of events you want to optimize towards and like those KPIs, but now it's like, how much should I be spending? And what's the spend volume that's required to get meaningful data to help make data-informed decisions? So what do you have to say about budgeting when it comes to running campaigns for some of these early stage apps?
1: This is something that we see a lot. So it's spreading the budget too, thin, And I think from our work, we won't cite like, this is the minimum amount that you should spend. And I would also say that you most certainly shouldn't take the word of the networks themselves, that this is the minimum amount you should spend, because it's very relative. It's less about the money and more about the impression volume, in my opinion. Like $100 a day in the US is not $100 a day in Nigeria. But to some of the networks, it is. But we're talking about a delta of CPM of 10x. But we're thinking about like where you should start. Pick two to three channels at the most, proportional to some level of budget. Gun to the head, if I had to say what that is, you want to be able to at least do $150, $200 a day per channel. Because if you can't, I mean, it ultimately becomes the volume that you're able to drive. It's like building a fire. If you cut the oxygen out, there's no fire. In this situation, the, who the channels are also matters. We like to tell everybody, look, we need to have some purposed intent of like who, for example, you don't want to just go all in on paid social. You don't want to go, all right, let's use Facebook, TikTok, Snapchat, whatever. You want to think about the media type there, paid social. There's some unique characteristics to how the traffic is served versus say search where there's direct intent coming from users. I am looking for this type of thing. Those are typically a good starting point for any of these startups just launching, and I think then you find a reputable DSP that can help you broaden your reach, that has similar optimization ability, and then you have a really good foundation. I'd say the caveat that we want to try to avoid is trying to avoid direct deals or anything necessarily out of the gate, because what's important here is like actually learning what works, but more importantly, like why things don't work. And I'm not particularly confident you're going to get a lot of those answers, In absentia of channels where you have a lot of levers that you can reverse engineer to causality of why things aren't working versus just looking at things at like a bundle ID level.
0: I think that's very interesting insights. But obviously, you can't start running campaigns without having some sort of KPI or North Star to go after. So... What recommendations do you have for businesses that are just starting off to figure out KPIs and a metric that they should be striving towards when they're running some of these campaigns?
1: Look, a lot of the times when we're putting together initial projections for the clients we're working with, they're derivative of their literal operating model or their financial projections. And so Hyper is actually working with the founders to say, okay, like this is what we're presenting to investors, or this is our BP. And there's a lot of assumptions in there that just candidly are projected from everything that is not an actual, because there are no actuals at this point. Best case, these are comparables or or maybe derived from previous experience. And a lot of times the context of these assumptions is not entirely relevant or like predictive of a real-time market that you're facing. And so this isn't to say that don't have projections, don't have goals, it's to say have them. But don't be stubborn and have the hubris to think that this is going to be gospel of what the actuals of the initial cohorts would be, because you're launching a new product. The last thing you want to do is seize early signals. And by early signals, I'm talking one, two weeks. We haven't really had time to get through any rounds of optimizations and then say, okay, the results here show that this is not working. Because then you're seeing false negatives and you're not really getting yourself to optimize and find opportunity because you're just being a little too rigid in in some of the assumptions. If you're assuming that CPI is going to be, I don't know, a dollar and it comes in at $10, well, okay, ask yourself why. Try to dig a little bit deeper in. And there's a useful analysis that you can do and other key indicators that you can back into to figure out, is it them or is it me? But largely speaking, to be more blunt, if you're starting in a conservative place with a narrow and focused channel mix, we indicated, hey, like start with a paid social major and a search. Well, you have a little bit of diversification. So you're going to kind of see some deltas and CPMs. But what you're able to do from that is just reinforce some of the assumptions and just ensure that you are giving yourself time to figure things out on the creative side, on the optimization side, before you start just shutting stuff down, are declaring things just don't work. Because the reality is, is that those channels do work. They have worked. And so in most of the cases we're finding, there's just something you haven't figured out. There's an unknown unknown somewhere. Give yourself time to figure it out. Because the goal, like the way that we approach this at least, is we like to think about it like launch, learn, scale. In this learning phase, we're not talking about the learnings for the network. We're talking about actually understanding what your baseline KPIs are, because you don't really know what good is yet. And good is not likely to be your initial results because you really haven't found any efficiency with economies of scale, but that's the next step.
0: Yeah, that's some good advice. It's giving these sources of volume into your app enough of a chance and allowing the KPIs that you're implementing to allow for that to happen. This is all really good stuff. And I know that you guys have a good blog post to marry to this content. So we'll definitely provide that link for any listeners that listen to this podcast. But yeah, this is a super interesting podcast, David. Like We really appreciate you coming on, talking to us a little bit about how early stage startups should be growing. We're often talking to a lot of startups that are already at that beyond the growth stage or like a little bit more mature. So it's really good to get some insights as to if you're just starting to implement an app and start a growth marketing campaign, these are some things that you should
1: be thinking about. So
0: we really appreciate you taking some time today and go back to that beach.
1: (laughs) Yeah, man. Appreciate you. Yeah. All right. Take it easy.
0: Thanks for taking a break with us and listening to our weekly episode of Activate by Remerge. If you enjoyed what you heard, leave us a five-star review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. The more people you tell, the further we can spread these awesome mobile marketing insights. See you next week.